Hi, I'm Tiffany Patlin, host of the Tiffany Talks Health and Wellness Podcast, where I discuss tools, tips, and techniques to heal your mind, body, and soul. I am on a godly mission to heal the world. Everybody, thanks for joining me today for this amazing episode where I have Miss Heather Wild with us today. She is an educator, author, and inspirational speaker. She has an amazing gift of helping others to get their story out. Thank you so much, Heather, for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Tiffany, for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. I love your story. And I would just love if you would just share with the audience how it is that your journey began. I think with my journey, if you had um, been watching me as a young child, you would have seen a girl that was a rule follower, had her nose in the books a lot, got good grades, um, participated, had friends. Like there was nothing alarming about the picture you would have seen with me as a child, as a teenager. And when I started to make my own decisions, which for most of us, that's when we hit the upper teens, we start getting jobs, we get into more serious relationships, it became really evident, not at the time to me, that I really struggled with, you know, making those choices and making them with confidence. And that got as simple as, you know, in and out of relationships, kind of the grass is greener, this girl looking for love. And then it turned into jumping colleges. I went to three colleges in five years, all with very different majors. And if you look back, when I look back, I can see that I didn't necessarily trust my vision or my decision-making skills. And as that moved me into adulthood, I did become a teacher and that's where I should have landed. So thankfully I kept leaning into what felt good for me. But then as I made some of those bigger choices then with um, getting married and defining myself as a partner, as a mother, things started not going the way that I expected them to. You know, we have expectations as we as we dream about our adult lives. And I have to admit, mine potentially had a lot of white picket fences involved. And when my life started having some of these speed bumps and the speed bumps became bigger, I didn't quite understand how I couldn't control the situation. I thought, you know, I can love this person enough or I can fix myself enough so they won't get mad at me. Mm. And that turned into a new pattern of life for me that was extremely destructive. Um, believing that I was responsible for everybody else's happiness or, you know, their emotions. And that created a really difficult life for me. And I got to a place where things just kept spiraling and I needed to, I needed to take a look in the mirror 
if I wanted things to change. And that's kind of where I took a pivot in my life. Was there any specific trauma, traumatic stories that you would like to share with our audience that maybe they might resonate with? I know that I just didn't have an awareness of what it meant to be, you know, codependent or an enabler. I didn't understand what that meant. But basically for me, as a child, I grew up in a home where I was extremely preoccupied with my mother's happiness. Mm. That was the basis of the house was if mom was happy, it means that we were okay. And if mom wasn't happy, it means we had failed in some way. So that passive aggressive control with shame and guilt was something I was very, very used to. And so I grew up believing that my voice didn't matter. I mean, I was adapting myself to make the situation as, as plausible as possible to keep someone very happy. And I was, and she very much so told us when we disappointed her, you know, didn't meet her needs. Well, then what happened was I went into a marriage with the same skill set. And I believed it was my responsibility to be the wife and the mother and the partner that my family system needed. And so I, I didn't know how to honor myself. And I think a lot of people, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that that's not how relationships worked. But now that I have healed and woken up to kind of some of the patterns that I just grew up with, I can see that I really struggled. And it wasn't of my, it wasn't my fault, but it was, it was my responsibility to get out of it and to create new patterns. I love that you said that because I think a lot of us get stuck into that pit that, you know, like it's almost like a victimized mindset and it's understandable. Like, I don't want anybody to take that as a negative. Like I was that person. I was stuck in a negative victimized mindset and I didn't even know it. Just like you said, like, we don't even know what we don't know. Like unless somebody teaches you or that you're taught this, how are you supposed to know? And, um, I just love that you said that, well, not that I love that you said, but um, I realized I picked up on the fact that you mentioned how because you came from this environment in your childhood, you kind of fell into the same pattern in your relationship. So what would you say to those women that may not realize or even know of anything and, you know, to save them from doing the same thing, from ending up in a relationship like that, that's similar to what they experienced like you did? I think the main thing if, as women um, or even as individuals, this can go for men too. Are you happy? Are you happy? Because if you had asked me that question as a child or even in my marriage, I could have looked at you and said no. I mean, I would have, I'm not saying I was ready to give up on that marriage, but I knew in the heart of me that I was feeling anxiety that I was, you know, uncomfortable with the emotional control that was going on in my marriage. Um, and so your body talks to you and it will tell you the messages. And when, when we don't feel at peace and at ease and like life is easy, whether it's in our partnerships or it's in our careers, it is a message saying, your higher self, your best version of yourself is uncomfortable because this isn't it. And really, isn't that the first step? We, we just, there's a mindset that 
change sometimes looks like weakness. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people, like I definitely grew up with the mindset that, you know, you get married once and you get married and you, and, and to stay in that marriage meant that you were a dedicated, strong person. And if you vaguely, if you even considered getting out of it, it was weakness or same with a career path. Mm-hmm. And I've come to the place of believing I now lean into what is my body telling me what feels what's what feels good. And I'm realizing that every time I make a choice, whether it's huge, like, should I stay in this relationship or whether it's small, like, do I want to eat fruit or do I want to eat a brownie? My body will tell me the right answer. And as long as I keep leaning into whatever makes me feel the best, it never fails. And so it's the big things. It's the little things. How many times do we ever, how many times do we, we ignore the symptoms that our body is telling us, anxiety, headaches, stomach aches, aches, pains, or just being angry, you know, not being truly happy. So it is about awareness, isn't it? And and that's the, nobody gave me permission to do that when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I waited and waited when, when my marriage actually turned abusive, which I question whether or not it was at the beginning or not. But it definitely got to a place where it was abusive sexually and emotionally for about three and a half years at the end, um, at the hands of a, a alcoholic with some mental health issues. Um, I waited for someone to come rescue me, give me the permission to leave because I, I couldn't make that decision on my own. And I almost broke waiting for someone. And I was waiting for my parents. I was waiting for a friend, anyone, just look at me and give me your hand and say, it's okay to leave. Like it's going to be hard, but it's okay. This is what's best for you. And I had to find within myself the belief that it was downright dangerous for me to stay. And I had to fight for myself. No one is going to love you more than you love yourself. And so you have to create the life you want. You have to. Yes. I love that you said um, it's true. Our body does speak to us and it gives us clues all the time. But I think that, tell me if you agree with this, but I think it's really that we become too busy. Like we're just, our lives are just go, 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 this, that, that, and the other. And we lose sight of ourselves and therefore we're not able to pay attention to those clues, right? I think a lot of times what I see now is that people go, go, go because they don't want to feel the feelings. <laughs> I don't go, go, go anymore because I choose to be happy and, you know, and not stressed. And so when I, on the outside now, look back at the lives of people that go, 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 I see a lot of resistance to feeling the feelings instead of using it as, you know, so I think you're right. We're frozen. Um, but I think some people choose to hide and not breathe and not and not think through those. Because once you start thinking about those things, sometimes there's some very obvious answers that we might not be ready to face. Yes. So it is about choosing your life. How busy do you want it? How much happiness do you want? And it'd be sad to think that we had gotten through a lifetime and you'd say, well, I really wasn't happy, but I was so busy. I didn't have time mm. to understand. You know, how sad is that? Yeah. We only live once. Um And I think that that's normal. It's normal to be caught up in life, not understanding that we create the life we want. Mm, 
I just love that you said that was like a little mic drop right there. <laughs> it's true. A lot of people say that I don't have a choice, but it's like, no, 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 you, you, you really do have a choice. Yeah. If you're stuck in a dead end job, we're not saying quit your job and don't work, find a new job, which I know is something we're going to talk about with you here soon. Yeah. Um, Something that I did want to point out, though, what, that I wanted to ask you about was when you were younger and you everything was going on, did you by chance try to reach out and talk to anybody um, about what was going on in the home? And if you did, were you listened to or did your voice fall on deaf ears? That's really interesting you say that. I, I did not reach out at all as a child or as a teenager. I was completely unaware I was, I thought it was normal. And because, you know, our house was spick and span clean and we were fed, we went to church. Um, there was no reason, there were no red flags. My parents were not alcoholics. There were no red flags for me. Like if, if someone in my house had been physically violent or an alcoholic, I'm sure I would have reached out. That wasn't the type of abuse I was going through. So I saw nothing. Now, flash forward um, a few decades to when I am a struggling woman in an extremely toxic, abusive relationship, and I did reach out, but I reached out to the people closest to me, my parents, um, and I have learned a lot of times, you know, when you get find the bravery to reach out, it doesn't mean you're going to be heard. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. It is so hard to be vulnerable and to say, I need help. And to have someone resist to see you in that moment. And especially if it's people that you sort of expect support from. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But I have in my interesting walk have found that it's amazing when you ask for help. It, it isn't always come with support. Um, and that's at all levels. I've had interesting experiences with, you know, the law, with um, doctor's offices, with family, where you use your voice, which was a big deal for me to learn to use my voice. It's hard if you're independent and you don't believe it's worth anything. And then to have it um, not listened to is sort of like a re-victimization, I have always felt. And then it reinforces my desire to, to keep being strong and independent and not count on people because you know it's 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 but I don't want to resent the systems I just don't trust the systems as much as maybe we think they're there to support us yes I resonate that with I resonate with that so much because I experienced the same thing you know it takes a lot of courage to be able to speak up and be so raw and vulnerable and then to just get feel that rejection, it's it's harmful. It's and then that's more that you have to recover from after the fact. Right. right. And you're oh, still boy. stuck at that point. You're still stuck because they didn't help you. Mm -hmm. So you still have the serious problem that you had to be vulnerable to ask for help. And now they didn't help you. So you are re-examining, well, then what is the right answer? Mm -hmm. And so you're still mucking through, saying, I want help, I want out, I want something better. And that's what made me such a resilient person, I think, um, was just some of those experiences. And we're so glad that you did. Um, can you share how exactly is it that you rose above all of these circumstances? Oh, what a what an intense question. 
<laughs> you know what? When I finally got um, brave enough to leave my abusive marriage, I was broken. I was broken. And I was so naive to believe that just getting away from that abuse, that here comes my white picket fences and the rainbows. I had so much healing to do. Um, and I, I didn't even understand how my childhood tied in. It took me 11 years of lots of mishaps. You know, you have to see the patterns before you can address them and break them. And so that little girl that craved love and had picked a probably not super um, stable marriage, she took a lot more pitfalls because she still wanted love. She still wanted that. She wasn't healed. And so I took so many wrong turns. And yet I knew my heart was good. I knew I was, you know, a good citizen and I was a good mom and, you know, like I'm a teacher and yet I kept screwing up in ways that wanted me to appear on Dateline, you know, and it's like, what is going, what's going on here? And it took 11 years of really a lot of looking in the mirror, analyzing therapy and baby steps, baby steps, baby steps to saying, what are these patterns I need to break? And it's amazing that once you kind of recognize and work on one thing, of course, it only starts unveils something else. And so it has been a continuous process. My worst, my last big event happened about two years ago and I found myself homeless. And here I am a woman with her master's degree. You know, I'm leading some of our most troubled students and I'm homeless. And it had been almost a decade of really hard, big moments. And I literally remember sitting here saying, I can't do this anymore. My body cannot take the level of trauma that comes from finding yourself homeless um, with some trauma mixed in overnight. This was not a financial thing. This was a domestic thing. And I, I just, I just d declared it. I can't. And I became so fixated on saying, what's it going to take for me to create the life that I don't have to keep having these speed bumps? And that's when the real work came. And I started healing the inner child, understanding those patterns and loving myself and understanding that I had to create my own happiness. And now, you know, I'm happy. <laughs> I made it and I'm there. And and I know that this whole long journey for me wasn't for nothing. I love that so much. You definitely have a purpose. Um, what would you say? Because I think about that too. And it's, it's, it's almost bittersweet that I can resonate with you, you know, because I realized that I needed to stand up and take charge of my own life when I was abandoned on the streets of Las Vegas, you know, and it was just a significant moment. You know, I was a teenager. It's like, where's my mom? Where's my dad? How come they don't care about where I'm at? If I'm cold, tired, hungry, dead, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's when you realize there's no one here. So you either give up literally, yeah. or you take charge and create your own happiness and just do this. And I'm so grateful that you did because I know that you have a strong life purpose. And I want to make sure everybody heard what she said about baby steps, because no step too small is not important. Like if it's important to you, it matters. Do not measure how big or small your steps are. If you are further along than where you were 
the previous day, the previous hour, then that is progress and it deserves to be celebrated. Um, yeah. And we should not compare. All that matters is how you feel and what you're going through and that you yourself are making progress. Yeah. And that can be as simple, I think, as understanding if if you have a, a, a story that keeps replaying on a loop in your brain that makes you feel sad or worthless or abandoned. And let's say when that loop starts, maybe when you get into a space, maybe it typically takes hours for you to recover because you're just stuck in that loop. And it's like, why, why, why? And if you can whittle that down, it doesn't mean the story's gone. But if you can all of a sudden say, oh, yep, that happened. And now all of a sudden it's only an hour. And then all of a sudden you can get it to a half an hour. And then, you know, it really is about, it's not just about so many times I think we have mixed messages about positive thinking. And I feel like in some ways the messages are just think positive. And there is truth in that. We do need to, you know, keep a positive outlook. But what I also believe is so many times what people are taking that to mean is don't feel the feelings, don't process what you are holding on to that's negative, and just, you know, say the words, I'm not going to be mad. And then they're like saying it while they're yelling, right? And <laughs> I think there's this miss, you know, to me, what I'm seeing and what I had to go through is I had to face it. And you know what? The more I heal, the easier it is to face some of the stuff because I'm building my tools up mm -hmm. and then I can get to new layers and new layers. And I can tell you, I did not get to any layers of my happiness without dealing with what, what was holding me back. I didn't just positive think my way into a happy life. It had to be addressed and changes made. I'm glad you touched on that. There's a beautiful quote that I love and it's um, you have to feel to heal. <laughs> yeah, right it's so not just words it's not just words words are good but it's not just words so how is it that you have turned your past pain if you will into your purpose over the last decade I have I was a high school teacher and I found myself about the last 11 years working with either very rural socioeconomic challenged or at risk populations. These were all students that were really hurting um, generational traumas. They come into my classroom and I saw the dance that we danced together, like what I could bring to the table, how I could guide and help them in a way that wasn't like I was becoming their friend, but we definitely formed bonds because they knew how much I supported and valued them. And I didn't judge them for whatever they brought into the classroom. And so I knew they were very vocal about, it was very obvious and transparent, the effects I was having with these students. But in the same sense, they were saving me. I mean, mm -hmm. I had lots to learn over the last decade. And so over the last five years, I worked with a very specialized program of seniors in high school that didn't have the right number of credits to graduate. And we would work on a lot of social emotional skills, life skills, planning skills. Um, but really we were just like this dysfunctional family and they showed up and they brought it all. And I expected them to, and they knew they were going to get real live, honest conversations with me, but we ended up sitting there problem solving life way more than we did worrying about a GED test, or it was about life skills. And they had a whole year with me. And that's what we did is we changed lives. 
And it was because they felt safe and they felt respected. And I don't care if you, you know, were homeless or you were a dealer or you were an addict, you came in, I was there to love you unconditionally and to say, yeah, well, you're making some stupid choices. Why are you, you know, and, and they knew like they couldn't hide from me, but everything I said was said with love to try and help them. And I know I saved lives. I know, I know I did. And they tell me that and, and I love them all and they know that. And so I think that with certain amounts of trauma we've gone through, if it doesn't, um, if it doesn't tarnish us, if it doesn't leave us bitter, it sure can make us compassionate and a light for others. Cause that's what I wanted. I wanted someone to see me yeah. who I really was and what I needed when I was young, when I was a young adult, when I was a young mother, when I was being abused. And so I'm trying to just be available for people that are looking for a hand. I don't force it and I don't fix it, but I will offer you the grace of seeing you listening to you and, and saying, you know, let's what what can we do so my compassion scale my empathy scale and my ability to read people intuitively is is pretty high that's what i was just acknowledging it's like you have this gift and i believe it's because of what you experience that you can easily see what other people need because it's what you didn't have and it's what you needed. And I resonate with that so much. And I think it's just so beautiful. And I just love that you are saving these children's lives because, you know, we both know what that feels like, like you said, to want to be seen and heard and cared for and supported in the whole nine yards and to have a voice and somebody actually wants to hear you, <laughs> you know, so it's so beautiful. And speaking of voice, you are also in a very special way, helping these children have a voice of their own. I am. Well, there's a few different things I'm doing, but really it's empowering um, with the voices. Not only, you know, I wrote my first memoir, which um, made me feel a calling to leave teaching, which is a career I loved, but I went with what felt good in my body. And that was a risk. And it was a challenge to believe in myself. And so I am empowering um, younger students to have a story. We're publishing a book where they get to write a chapter about something they've experienced in their life. Um, and it's and it's just as much, you know, a lot of them, they've gone on and they're so proud of their progress too. I mean, that's the magic is to see these, you know, I saw a boy in the mall about two months ago. He came up to me and the last time I had seen him, he had been crying in my arms about five mm -hmm. years ago. And he was on his way to prison and, you know, there was gang activity and he was scared for his life. And I cried with him and I was like, can't we get you out of the area? And, you know, I learned about gangs. I didn't know about gangs. This is Northern Minnesota, but I learned and I cried and my heart broke for this kid. And the last time I saw him, he was going off to prison and we saw each other in the mall a couple of weeks ago. And he gave me the biggest hug and his whole life has turned around. Mm -hmm. He built a house. He's having a baby. He's like, I'm not even on probation. And, you know, then he talked about what our dance together meant to him on that journey. And, oh, you know, it's just, again, it's, it's beautiful and it's, and it's life changing. And so even since I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, the big thing I'm doing is I am, I'm, going across, I'm going to be speaking to high schools and colleges, you know, about um, 
taking charge of their life. Don't be frozen. You have options. And not only that, but I think some of our young adults should be offended that, you know, the older generations are calling them snowflakes. Hmm. Like, let's fight that. Like, are you, are you a snowflake? <laughs> like, you know, or do you want, do you want to be seen? Do you want to be heard? Do you want to have value to your generation? And so that's kind of the new thing that I'm, you know, diving into is going in and inspiring these kids. Hey, find your voice and you're not a snowflake. So that's kind of where I'm heading in the next couple months. Um, besides that biography, of course, we talked about the biography I'm writing for Pat, right? Yeah. What's the name of that? Is it um, Tumbled, a memoir of perseverance, personal growth and magical transformation? That one is my, yes, that's my memoir that I published uh, just under two months ago. It's been going very well. Um, again, people are identifying with pieces to say I can relate. And with some of the things I've gone through, I think that's the most important part is to create community. We can create community in trauma and we can say, I'm sorry you went through it, yeah. you know, and let's hold each other up and, and also hold each other accountable for healing. Mm -hmm. um, but then I'm also writing a memoir um, after mine published, a local family found me and hired me to work with their grandmother in the nursing home and hospice. And so I have spent the last month and a half interviewing her every day. She's the most beautiful soul. And so that book I will be done. We're hoping to have it in her hands the end of June. <laughs> so it's going to be a fast turnaround. But talk about a soul project. This project has changed my life in a way, even more than my own book. This project wow. of having a woman uh, meeting her in that space as she's analyzing her life to see if it's what she wanted it to be and to have her share those stories and trust me to write the biography of her life. Uh, and and sh she's just beautiful. And it's, it's healing for me to be with someone who's so gracious to share that. Um, and it, it's just the most beautiful experience. So that's only three months away. That one will be done. What's the title of that one? Do you have it yet? Well, she's naming it because we are co-authors. And she said, well, we're naming it Patricia because her name is Pat. And I said, well, of course we are. But I think <laughs> I will name the subtitle. You know, it is something about, you know, looking, looking back when, when, when death is, you know, staring us in the face, like looking back, did we leave a perfectly acceptable life? You know, what did we have? And so I, I'm going to come up. That subtitle is important, but she does get to name it Patricia because it's her <laughs> book. Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's a, she's a beautiful woman with a beautiful story. So that's my project until June, along with lining up places to go do some public speaking. And I'm sure all this information can be found on your website. Is that right? What is that? Um, my website, my company name is Wild House Of. And so W-I-L-D-E-H-O-U-S-E. OF.com. And so, yes, the opportunities and offerings are all there. And I will also have her social media in the description notes. So you guys want to make sure that you follow her so you can keep up on her journey, her speaking engagements, where she could be seen next. And also when her, um, this upcoming book, Patricia is going to come out yeah. and, um, Thank you so much, Patricia, for being on. But before, or not Patricia, but Heather, sorry. <laughs> I got that name in my, my head. All good. Um, but before um, I let you go today, is there just some final thoughts that you would just love to leave our audience with today that could just, you know, inspire and motivate them to rise above their circumstances? 
I think the one piece of advice that I could have used as a child, as a teen, as a young adult, or even at my middle age now is truly let it resonate within you that nobody's going to love you more than yourself. No one's going to fill those holes. Nobody is going to create your perfect life, but you, you know, you get no excuses. No, you don't have to justify anything. You get to create your life. And it, and so to empower yourself and say, am I living my best life? And if I happen to be in hospice someday, telling someone my life story to write a biography, am I going to be happy with what stories I'm sharing? Because we don't want to live with regrets in that moment. We don't. And so no matter what age you are, you are the person who's going to care the most about your life. And you're never going to let yourself down if you, you know, do and follow your bliss. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. It was an honor to be with you and to chat about this. And thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I appreciate it. You're welcome. We'll be in touch. Bye for now. Bye.